And a very good afternoon and a very warm welcome. It is the earlier day than normal of Wednesday. David Bandrassi, looking beautiful over there. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Doing Glad well. to be here. Likewise, yeah. So uh, this is going to be a fun episode, I think. And uh, yeah. we had a, a very slight technical glitch because Jonathan stepped out of the studio and I had to do something. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, it's been a minute since I had to do that sequence and I forgot the order. So I apologize if you saw our beautiful faces before the title sequence and Jonathan's now back and he's going to kill me. So because I, I got it wrong, but that's okay. You botched it. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I snipped this out of the beginning of YouTube, so it's going to be just fine. Um, anyway, anyway, so Dave, uh, tomorrow we have, I think it's tomorrow, right? The, um, the new Mardi Gras yeah. sale is off. Um, tell exactly. us a little bit about the Mardi Gras sale as a, uh, a boy from New Orleans and a big fan of Mardi Gras. What are we doing? Yeah, it's carnival time, you know, all around the world. And, uh, so we're <laughs> celebrating like during apparel sale. We have, but we have a special, we have, I don't know if you've seen it, but we have a special shirt and some, some phone cases that has a little Deering jazz band, um, that, uh, our own, our own Darren, uh, from Deering, uh, created. He drew this. He, yeah. he drew it on the back of a napkin. I, I was really happy with it. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's awesome. It has alligators and shrimp playing drums and banjos and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, it's, it's a really, really fun design. So check that out. That starts tomorrow. Uh, but that's not why we're here. We just like to talk about it a little bit at the beginning. Um, we're here to welcome somebody very special who we've never had on before. Uh, and because the title is everywhere already, you know who it is. It's no mystery, but it is the, the wonderful Evie Layden. And before we bring her in, um, for those of you that don't know her, she's uh, renowned for her polyrhythmic Clawhammer banjo style. Uh, incredible voice and percussive dance. In fact, backstage we were talking about the uh, body dancing scene in Brazil. David and I don't know what that is. I feel like we're about to find out in the course of this episode, and we're very excited. Uh, she's a driving force behind San Francisco's Stairwell Sisters and has a longtime favorite instructor at music camps all around the country. Many of you, um, and I'm curious to know how many of you, We'll probably know Evie more from her outstanding teaching lessons at uh, Peckhead Nation, uh, who are good friends of ours. Uh, we've worked with them for a long, long time. It's a fantastic teaching platform. Um, and uh, we're recently honored the Distinguished Achievement Award at IBMA last year. So without further ado, let's get into some really cool topics. Uh, not all related to banjo, some related to dancing, travel, all the rest of it. Let's bring her in, Miss Evie Layden. Hi there. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. It's been a minute. It's uh, I know you've you've kind of loosely spoken to us a little bit over the years, but um, I think you're one of the guests that we definitely wanted to have on here, and we're we're glad that you could finally uh, finally make it happen and make the make the two ends meet, as it were. So, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, should we jump straight in? You want to play us a little tune to get started? Sure. That'd be awesome. All right, Jonathan's back. Play... He's going to take over proceedings. Is that all right to do a little medley? You can do whatever you desire. Absolutely. All right, I'm so this play is your stage. A, a tune that, a song that I adapted from the pizzicato uh, fiddle playing of Sanford Kelly off of um, Field Recorders Collective record and follow it up with a version of Charleston Number no. One. A little trad Sounds stuff. Good.
was great. What were those three tunes again? Uh, it was two tunes. It was I Love My Honey and Charleston Number One. All right. All right. Well, um, tell me, how'd you get your start, like getting so into into the banjo and, and folk music, you know, you know old time folk music? Um, well, as this as the story goes, my dad went to a hootenanny at Carnegie Hall in 1958 and went home and threw out all of his old, his original uh, rock and roll records, <laughs> otherwise known as my inheritance. Just kidding. Um, but he fell in love with folk music, was part of that, part of that uh, first folk scare in the 50s and 60s, but specifically Southern Appalachian old time music. And so he was a big, uh, living in New York City and then in New Jersey and then in Baltimore, he was always uh, putting on concerts and dances and booking stuff and hosting musicians. So we had a steady stream of folks through our house. And when I was little, uh, I remember John Cohen, the new Lost City Ramblers, was staying yeah. staying with us in New Jersey. And I can picture him sitting on the couch and saying, you girls should play the banjo. And so my dad took us to get a banjo. I was only eight, so I don't know that I had much choice. Um, and then we, our first lessons were with a banjo player living nearby by the name of Bob Carlin. Okay. Well-known banjoist. Yep. And so he was my first teacher when, uh, when wow. I was a child. That's how I got my start. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you know, born into the, into, into the, 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 uh, the scene basically. Um, yeah. And, and what was Bob like as a teacher when you're just a child? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't no. Okay. Far. I really don't. Do you stay I mean, in touch? Was, uh, no, I saw him last time I was through his area. So that must have been pre-pandemic. Last time I was uh -huh. in, uh, not last time I was in North Carolina, but the last time I was specifically, he came out to a show that we did. Um, and I run into him here and there. But I mean, I took lessons with him for a few years when we lived in New Jersey. And then we moved on to Maryland and had different teachers and things like that. But All it was right. always something we did for fun. You know, I didn't really know that I was going to be a professional musician at all. Very much. When did you social, start social scene? About what age were you when you really started getting into it? Really, like passion when you kind of felt this was kind of something you might want to, you know, pursue. Maybe not professionally, but you know, really pursue deeper. You know. I mean, it was always something that I enjoyed doing, um, and it was more of a social thing. Uh, yeah. playing at jam sessions. I think a lot of my style of playing arose from the fact that I mostly played in jam sessions and for dances. And right. um, when I was living in Bloomington, Indiana, I was in my first square dance band by the name of Spank. And, um, and then when I, I came out to California in 2000, and within a couple of months, and it was just like a test run, um, mm -hmm. to come out and check it out. And within a couple of months I was teaching clogging down the road and I was in my first band, the stairwell sisters. And I just have to mention, like you said, as a driving f introduced me with the stairwell sisters who broke up 10 years ago, <laughs> <laughs> we, we played together for 13 years. Um, and then I started pursuing a solo career and solo, of course, being with my own band, Evie Layden band. And I tore a lot with that band and with Keith Terry as a duo. So I've been doing that since uh, 2013, um, when Stairwell Sisters had kind of run their course. Yeah, you're really busy with doing a lot of different things, doing your own band, and and then you know you have uh, you know you do a lot of teaching, a lot of camps, and then also with your dancing as well. And uh, um, kind of how do you stay how do you stay focused in doing these different you know being you know really it's it's impressive you know you're, you really work hard you can i can tell you know oh, and thanks. uh how, how well, do you stay focused and keep everything you know each each one going strong and not one dropping kind of just kind of fading well making a living as a banjo playing clogger <laughs> yeah. you have to be a you know a little adventurous um and i mean any freelance musician and especially these days will tell you that it's you're you're wearing all the hats you know, you're doing all the stuff and I'm really well suited somehow to a freelance lifestyle and have been fortunate to, you know, have run into some really good things along the way. But I'm always like keeping the plate spinning. Um, and then the other part of it is I feel like 
the music and the dancing, the percussive dance, the harmony singing, it's all part of the same thing to me. It's like a full body expression and cultural arts are like that, you know, usually, you know, the musicians know how to dance and the dancers know how to sing. And, you know, in traditional cultures, it's really a lot like that. And um, I like being pretty good at all of those things rather than virtuosic at one thing, I guess. It keeps things interesting. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, would, what would be some advice for, for uh, a musician or basically any artist that wants to kind of make the jump to be more um, to their, to their art, you know, full time is, do you have a, you know, working freelance like yourself, do you have any tips for somebody that's wants to do, wants to go all the way, but is, you know, tentative? It's gotten trickier, you know, it's gotten trickier because as more people have been encouraged to, you know, as the platforms are more accessible and more people are encouraged or, drawn towards you know being a touring musician um the mm-hmm. audience and the finances of it have really declined in a certain way so right. um uh i would definitely one of the main things is a really strong social network and mm-hmm. i feel really you know obviously especially just with the way that i grew up and the way um traditional cultures are Uh, just really connected to one another and the old time and roots music community is it's just a very uh, generous and pretty safe space to be in Um, but you always have to either again either you're like really virtuosic really lucky or have a sugar daddy (laughs) you know being diversified in what you can do is really useful and including like having other jobs, you know, that occupy other parts of your brain. Although I do find as a working musician and dancer, like I use all parts of my brain, you know, to keep the technological side going, you know, the teaching side. Long time ago, I figured out that if it was, if my balance was like a third performance, a third teaching and a third admin to keep it all running, that that balance kind Mm -hmm. of works for me. Performing can always get to be a bigger slice of the pie, but um, right. if teaching or admin gets to be a bigger slice, then it's, I get cranky. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Not a happy it can, it can easily slip where you find yourself on the computer, you know, doing the admin part of it, you know, a little too much. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this day and age, it's all about getting the word out, the social stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it feels like too much, but. Um, I've met a lot of people and the net is, is big and I appreciate that. And I feel like that's what keeps me going. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you've mentioned how, how you're a dancer as well. How do you think that being a dancer influences your, your, your banjo playing and, and your music in general? Um, I would say my first love was clogging with percussive dance. Also did a lot of folk dance, um, square dance and circle dances and all that. My mom was an international folk dance teacher uh, in New York City. So I learned a lot of odd time signature stuff. Um, and then very early on, I was at Ashokan Fiddle and Dance. And Stefan Senders, who's a great banjo player up in the Ithaca area, he uh, had done ethnomusical, ethnomusicological work in Ghana and showed up at Ashokan and taught us some Ghanaian polyrhythms. And this light bulb went off that, like, it was so connected to the clogging and the banjo playing um, that I'd been doing. And this is obviously before, you know, I knew that it was actually... That was that was the roots of a big part of the roots of all of this music was from Africa, from West Africa, and uh, so when I went to I went to Brown University and I was public school enough to say I'll let I'll come to your fancy university if you let me take that African drumming class freshman year, <laughs> and I made up my own major studying everything about Africa Africa African music and dance but culture sociology political science all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and did a deep dive there and part of it i think was growing up around growing up not in the south but around a, a culture of participatory music and dance and then feeling like that was really separate from how most of my peers lived and was sort of wanting to understand music and dance as a part of social communication which of course then i 
grew up to find is true of all traditional cultures and sort of gets weaned out of, quote, civilized culture, um, then it becomes more specialized. So again, over the years, like, I, I love performing and songwriting and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like uh, really facilitating participation, which is so much of, of this music and dance tradition, um, is just a big part of what I want to do, which wasn't really an answer to the rhythm question, but I think I answered it somewhere along the lines in there. So, yeah, well, with the rhythmic thing, I wanted to ask, so do you play, do you play you know, um, some banjo tunes in odd time signature? Do you do, uh-huh, do that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. I have. Yeah, we were talking with Michael Miles a couple of weeks ago, and he was showing us a number of, uh, you know, different time signature. Uh, yeah, I have a did. I have a song called Five Below that is okay. goes between five and six, uh-huh. and then, um, lots of lots of traditional banjo tunes are crooked, right. Um, right. which wouldn't wouldn't be to say that they're in seven, but right. I have I have played. I have adapted tunes to play them in seven because it's my partner's favorite time signature. So you got to go with the flow. (laughs) Can you, can you come back up a little bit about, you know, the crooked old time tunes? Can you explain to everybody what that kind of is? Oh, so like a square tune, 32 bar dance tune, uh, two A's, two B's, everything's like even four measures each, um, that kind of thing. But in lots of old time tunes, um, because it's partly, you know, an oral transmission, um, and also just because melodies do what they do, either it'll have an extra beat, short a beat, an extra part, short a part, you know, three parts. So three parts is sort of ostensibly crooked, but like, or maybe it's a short B part and a longer C part. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I just taught my class, the tune Kentucky Winder, and we listened to several versions that were all crooked in different ways, but um, in a similar way of uh, dropping a beat before going back into the A part. So the last phrase before you hit another A part is only three beats instead of four. And when you go into the B part, it's four beats. So those little things. And I actually once sat down to play a dance with a friend who is a fiddle player. And he said, here's my list of square tunes, which we needed for the contra dance. And uh, we started warming up and I was like, well, that's not square. And he goes, it isn't. We went on to the next one. I was like, that's not square. And finally I said, are there any actual square tunes on your square tunes list? Cause sometimes you don't, it's just how the tune sounds. You don't realize right. that it is, that it actually is missing or adding beats. You know, that's in a lot of pop tunes, like a lot of Beatles tunes have this too, you know, where mm-hmm. you just know the song so well. And then if you actually try to play it and you're counting up, you know, four beats to measure, you're like, eh, this doesn't, something's not lining up eventually. I was um, just listening to a Fresh Air on Burt Bacharach. You know, he just passed uh, away. Yeah. And one of his famous tunes changes time signatures like every measure. And I was like, well, that's, that's, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> people sing it, they just learn like the whole melodic structure. Like I wouldn't have even thought of it that way. So that's good. That's kind of goes into the next question of how, you know, some people really get thrown by, by crooked tunes, but how do you explain to students? How do you, to, um, to, to kind of learn a crooked tune, you know, and are you have them counted out or do you may really focus on the melody? and just hear that melody kind of kind of both you know like if i'm learning a tune on the fly which i love to do like really fast just picking up a tune you just are listening for the the melodic structure and the phrasing and you just kind of go with what you hear and i i wrestle with counting it out because sometimes I don't know, that inhibits like a more natural way of learning, I guess. But because I'm teaching, I want to expose the, you know, for everyone has their own learning style. And so to think about the different ways of, of learning the tune and some people will need to know, oh, that's three beats. And it's funny Mm because that tune that I just taught, I had one student who said, okay, it's definitely crooked. One part is longer. And it turns out it was actually shorter, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's just funny how your brain processes these things. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, everybody has like when it's when there's like a one extra beat or two extra, you know, beats or something, when it's like a half measure thing, lots of people process it differently. I always process it like I'm going one, two, one, two, one, one, two, 
sort of <laughs> like that sort of thing. And some people go one, two, three. So it's just how you feel it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's actually the tune um, that I want to play uh, at the end on our outro is a, a version of Forky Deer from Sidna Myers that's insanely crooked. And I kind of put it together as a mashup with the fork of deer that everybody knows. And so it's very cool to hear them back to back and see how they are connected, but are very different. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I was going to ask you if you wanted to play a little bit of a crooked tune right now, just to, just to demonstrate like, play a melody. What's gonna... up? You can save that, but you have another one. Even like, <clears throat> even a song or a tune like, um, like, uh, oh my little darling, if you were mine, wouldn't you love to start you and I and say, darling, say, start and I will be your train while I get drunk and lay in the shade. whole tune is six measures right so that, that, that's a good one yeah yeah, yeah so it's, it's, counting it out for me always throws me a lot of time for, for these tunes that for me it's because I, I you know i can break it down but it's just much easier for me just to hear the melody um yeah. and be and know know that's how it works and just go with it and, and trust to, yourself that's what I happens. I that tune to a jazz bass player who just was like, I don't get it. And I was like, it's just six, it's just six measures. <laughs> like, that's all there is to it. There's no, there's no more mystery than that. And he was just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have some questions, a couple questions there. Um, here's the, somebody wants to know about tunings, I guess this is, um, Ross Cook saying tunings, please, but I, I'm not sure if Ross is talking about tunings of what I'm playing, of what you're playing, not those those first tunes. So the first tune was in C major, yeah. so it was like double C, but with that the first string raised up to an E. Oh, okay. So that was C major, and now I, when I picked up this banjo, is in just regular double C tuning. Okay. Do you use a lot of different uh, um, altered tunings more than just G and double, you know, double C, double D? Um, yes and no. I don't go crazy on tunings, but um, right. I use my capo a lot. So I do play some tunes in, you know, B flat or E flat or E, but that's just using the capo to go up and down. And then I right. will change the tuning of my fifth string. I don't always have it relational. Sometimes it'll be the flat seven mm-hmm. um, or the third uh, instead of the one or the five. Um, and then of course there's mountain modal sawmill tuning, which is halfway between regular standard G tuning and double C. Um, What's an example of something that you'd use it the, the fifth as the flat seventh? The fifth string flat seven so mo- yeah. modal tunes and actually okay. a great story um one of the first tunes that i played with my partner keith terry i was doc boggs's sugar babe and i had actually i had worked it up as a dance piece with my sister so dance to it da, 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 da. and then when i met him i started playing it on the banjo i was like let me see if i can play and sing and dance all at once and the first time i tried that i had to go lie down i like blew a fuse <laughs> But then I taught myself how to do it, you know, um, how to do some clogging steps and choreography while I was holding down the um, holding down the tune and singing. And but my husband, who comes from a jazz uh, jazz and world music background, he really wanted to hear these West African bells with the banjo. He just said it was a great sound. And he was like, "Wait, it's missing this tone." So I retuned my fifth string down to uh, so I was in A modal. So I retuned it down to a G. So there's that flat seven, and realized that was the tone that was on his West African Gongkogwe bells. Um. And realize, I went back and listened to Doc Boggs and was like, oh, that's actually the tuning he was using. And so that direct lineage from West Africa into the banjo, tuning-wise, like, you know, right. tonal systems, all that. It was like, ding, 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 ding. Right, so right. I, love, I love, you know. Making these connections. The other way, yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
Um, and and the, jumping on, jumping forward from tunes, we have another question here. Sam Rogers is talking about setup. How tall is that bridge? No scoop, and she's playing up, up, oh, this is, up on yeah. up on the neck. This is this is my workhorse banjo. This is a mutt that I bought off my brother-in-law for 150 bucks like 30 years ago, and um, so it's just a three-quarter inch moon bridge, three-quarter inches tall, but it does have pretty high action, and I've never wanted to change it because I love the sound of this instrument, and so I didn't want to scoop it, but I started um, actually through the pandemic playing more chords up the neck before the pandemic but then i really got into it and because it is such high action it's a little bit of a bummer on this instrument which right. is how i ended up with this one so it does have a scoop um and so there's low action up here but as it turns out i still take the workhorse on tour with me it's just i can't seem to let it go it's my baby and then do you like to mess play around with the setups of your banjos? Or, um, are you a tinker? Are you a classic banjo tinker? Not really. I, <laughs> I, I would have said that I don't, I'm not a banjo geek. I don't nerd out on stuff, but then the pandemic happened. <laughs> I totally nerded out on stuff because I was kind of shopping around for a different sound and you know, I don't know if you know Susie Thompson. She's a great fiddle player in Bay Area, in my area. And she picked up the banjo during the pandemic and was like, there are so many variables on the banjo, like unlike any other instrument. And I, I had never really gotten into it on, on other instruments. But like, what's your tone ring? What's the wood, the shape and the size of the pot? What kind of head you have? Um, how thick the neck was. Like I realized I had to shop around for who makes thinner necks, you know, not so chunky. Um, so there's just like so many variables that really affect the sound. Again, coming yeah. back to that, uh, something we were talking about backstage before coming live was, uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought, um, about uh, uh, banjo, banjo things. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whoa, my brain just pulled a fast one on me. Um, but, yeah, the, the tinkering on, on, the, on the, the different parts of the banjo, the different variables of the banjo you're talking about. Oh, that your instrument might might be working against you. Of what I said, to, I say to my students, like if you're not enjoying playing, it might not be you. It might be your instrument is not right. set up for what you're trying yeah. to learn. That was the thing. Oof. There you go. Came back. <laughs> <laughs> we both got back there. <laughs> I hate when you like reach for something and it's, it's not there. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> it happens. Um, you want? To, do you want to play another tune? Sure. Kind of, um, in the middle here. I sort of. So I've been writing a lot on on the banjo. I have written a lot over the years. Um, really started pulling out some original songs when I was with the Stairwell Sisters, and then of course afterwards pursuing my solo project a lot more stuff. So. Um, this is a song I wrote about one of my favorite activities, which is being in the water anywhere. Maybe you can identify. Starts out in the open 
torn away all my shoulders No thoughts in my head under the waterline I'll make my bed But my old surface I know Jamie has a question he wanted to jump in and, and ask here. I did have a quick question, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm clearing up the banjo confusion in the, in the chat a little bit. So what are you holding right now, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, this is a, from Will Cedars. Gotcha. Very, very good. We know Will. I'm this very good... sorry I'm not playing a Deering banjo. No, no, no. It's okay. I think because um, <laughs> it, it has the star on the fifth fret, and I think there's a few of us thinking, is that a Vega? Is it not a Vega? But yeah, Will, we know Will really well. He's a really good really Will good. Will Cedars, guy. Dobson. Yep. Dobson special, yep. something like that. Coming yeah. where he is. Lovely guy. Vermont. He is in Vermont. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a, he's a good dude. We like him. And then uh, my mutt banjo, I finally, I won't tell the whole story, but... Um, years into owning it so it was a no-name banjo but the dowel broke and on the inside was a stamp unidentifiable and finally long story short found out it was made by a man named mike defoche who lived i mm -hmm. believe in tennessee and he had put oh. the stamp on the inside um i finally found out because he only made the neck not the pot and then i was at bernuncio's in rochester and uh, uh -huh. Bernuncio himself looked at it was like, well, that's a Slingerland pot. So now I know okay. Slingerland, it only took like 20 years to figure it out. Slingerland pot, <laughs> Mike Defoe's neck, mutt just has a great sound and I can't seem to let it go. Sometimes you find <laughs> the, uh, you find the one, right? And then sometimes it's not like the best high end one. Sometimes it's just the one that you, uh, you relate to the most. You know? yeah. I get it. I get it. That was my only question. I'm enjoying the show, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump backstage again. <laughs> I do love that you call it backstage too. It makes it sound way more professional than we really are. So <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jonathan, take me away. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about your songwriting on the banjo. That's um, you know, do you do you often write songs banjo? Do you use other instruments, or what's your process? for that i mostly write on the guitar um uh -huh. unless like i have like a lick or something that i'm working off of on the banjo but i often write on the guitar but i'll know if it's a banjo song but it kind of helps me figure stuff out and it's partly because the banjo is in different tunings so on the guitar i can try things in different keys i can work out the chord structure i can try different things and then i might move it to the banjo um, okay. or it might stay on the guitar. Um, I also play a bunch of guitar and, um, and you know, the old mystery of songwriting, where do songs come from? A lot of times snippets of things fall in my head, spend a lot of time working on them. I've done some songwriting retreats. Um, and, uh, I will say that, um, one little trick that I've used over the years because you know I grew up with all this trad music and all these tunes and I play a lot of fiddle tunes that uh, instead of taking solos or breaks a lot of my or not a lot a handful of my original songs are like a mashup with an old time tune so um, like the song I was going to play the song that you posted on the website announcing this which is Glory a song that I wrote and it's a mashup with uh, the tune Valley Forge so playing parts of Valley Forge in between the the verses 
gotcha. So you, that's that's like the instrumental break, right? The, the instrumental break section. You, you'll you'll borrow yeah. melodic ideas from yeah. from a traditional tune. Yeah. And I mean, you know, cool. growing up playing traditional, like old time music, the idea of a break mm-hmm. is not really a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all play. Right. Just keep playing. Everybody right. keep playing. <laughs> yeah. And then how do you, so, and what's the transferring from guitar to banjo? Is there, is there, you know, kind of when you say, yeah, this is going to work on banjo. I know you have that in your head. And what's your, you know, how do you move that over? Um, you know, especially you do you figure out the tuning maybe first, you know, or to use on the banjo and the, or just like what what's the process there of turning it into kind of a banjo song? Well, if it's in a particular key, I'm going to use that tuning. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes the it calls out for the fifth string to be in a different tuning. Like the mashup we did of uh, Down the Road and Ease on Down the Road, um, it just sounded really cool for the fifth string to be the third of the chord instead of the, mm-hmm. it's in double D tuning. Yeah, it's in double D tuning. And uh, so the the fifth string is the F sharp instead of the A. Mm-hmm which it normally is right. an A in double D tuning. So it just sounded really cool. Um, so I just kind of mess around with it. And then also, you know, where on the instrument I want to play it. Like, you know, like in that last song I had, sometimes I was playing down here and playing the minor chord up here, down here. And sometimes I was playing it up here um, and just finding, and I'm, I'm playing more places on the banjo, um, using more chordal stuff than, than I used to. That was again, a pandemic project of just, you know, experimenting more with different things. Right. And then also just like trying to find different rhythmic ideas. Um, I can fall into very similar patterns, you know, with how yeah. I, yeah. how I back things up. Um, and I work a lot with my bandmates, uh, Keith Terry and Eric Pearson. They both have a lot of cool either arrangement ideas or rhythm ideas. Eric's really great with chords. Um, try this chord, try that chord, you know, just to try something different. Like, you know, there we had like the two minor, which I, you know, it's worked. I don't ever play that in tunes, but it's worked its way into some songs. Right, right. Um, Eric's a banjo player as well, right? He's a multi-instrument. Yeah. He is a multi-instrumentalist, yeah. Okay. So that must help, you know, in arranging, having somebody that understands your instrument as well. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, Eric Pearson is that the beautiful combination of really understanding what old-time music is about, but also being a composer and being really uh-huh. experienced in a lot of different kinds of music. And that's true of both of my bandmates, um, which is, I feel like that's hard to find because a lot of people dabble in old time music but aren't really grounded Mm -hmm. in it and like use it but it has a depth and a richness all its own um Mm -hmm. that i want to be honest about even as i use it for other purposes but when i'm playing the old time music like i really i'm really connected to it and you know, I know that you're, you're very connected to old time music and, you know, you grew up with it too. And, but how have you been able to not to break out from just being an old time banjo player and break out and become EV laden, the musician, you know, <laughs> and not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because a lot of people that play traditional music can get, you know, dive into it, which is, but can really get stuck just in a certain thing and not allow themselves to come out a little bit. I think part of it was um, like when I was, when I was a teenager, the heartbeats and the horse flies were uh-huh. jamming. They were recording and touring and, but they were at the festivals and, you know, at Mount Airy Fiddlers convention and they're, there are people I grew up around and they were experimenting like diving into old time music and then experimenting with it. And I, I don't know, it just really bit me. I also, you know, I grew up in cities. My teenage years were in Baltimore at a mostly black high school. Um, so that was like early days of hip hop. So I had all of this hip hop and black culture, like in my daily school life and all of that. 
Um, and then I'd go home and there'd be cloggers on the porch, <laughs> you know, who were staying with us for weeks or years, you know. And uh, so I just feel like that idea of it being a old time music being a part of a world music tradition. Um, but, you know, again, not just like using it for, you know, right. for other things, but really participating in it really deeply. And then, um, you know, enjoying experimenting with it in other ways, you know, whether in dance or in song, you know, like I do some, I do some old songs that I sing that I do body percussion with. Um, and that's not really a, a traditional thing, but it also kind of is because body percussion, body music is as old as yeah. that. So. So tell us more about this. I wanted to talk about this. Um, you know, you have a, what, what is body music exactly? And, and, you know, body music's and, the music you make with your body, like yeah. whether it's, so we don't say body percussion. My partner, Keith Terry coined the term body music to include also melody and harmony. And I mean, yeah. you even have like, like tone in your, in your clap, uh -huh. like all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It exists in cultures all over the world. Um, it really taps into the uh, percussive dance side of what I grew up doing, um, clogging and through my tenure with Rhythm and Shoes, exploring a lot of different kinds of percussive dance. Um, and so we started the International Body Music Festival uh, in 2008 and really kind of coagulated the scene. It's really strong in Europe and South America. Um, in terms of like a lot of people doing it and knowing about it. But we just had the International Day of Body Music, which is always the first Sunday in February. And there were about 40 events all over the world, live and online. We did a community building event uh, here in the Bay Area that had about 50 people, you know, singing, clapping, stepping, moving. And I just actually did, um, uh, very proud of it, uh, a full evening dance piece, an art piece. Um, called Water in the Kettle, and it was all uh, body music, uh, percussive dance, choreography, group singing, and then also had uh, Lisa Berman, my former stairwell sister, playing uh, playing banjo and dobro um, as a part of it. And it was um, using my foundation in these Appalachian, this Appalachian music, which is a mix of black, brown, and white, and looking at the ideas of freedom and equality. And for example, songs like, oh, what you gonna do with the baby, oh, you tell me, cause I don't know, is kind of talking about women's equality. What you gonna do with the baby? Like if we're all working, who's taking care mm -hmm. of the baby? And then also America, what are you gonna do with this baby you created? So mm -hmm. um, a little hard to explain, but I had just, so a three sold, a sold out run and some really great reviews. And it was really heartening because I felt like a lot of people who don't have the context of Southern Appalachian music or of these traditions were introduced to it in a new way, in a different right. kind of expository way that was very vibey and interesting. It was a little more intellectual than, than uh, my normal music shows. <laughs> Where would people find um, more information on this or is there, is there things they can see online? With this to understand um mm -hmm. that particular thing not yet but um okay. my website evieladen.com um on the projects page is the links to all the things i do calling square dances and teaching workshops and uh teaching banjo classes and then motor dance is that group mm -hmm. and there are actually several films that have been featured in film festivals like um like i took the song ain't no grave gonna hold my body down real popular uh -huh. and old time men bluegrass circles and put an Afro-Cuban sewn rhythm underneath it that we were playing on our bodies and we danced it and sort of overtly, not sort of, but overtly reconnecting African diaspora polyrhythms with Appalachian music and dance traditions. So I sort of, I'm really, my artistic, uh, spidey sense is like wide. My web is really right. wide in terms of how I think of all this. And I'm just really grateful. You know, you asked something about it, but I feel like, a lot of bluegrass festivals think of me as being too old time. The old time festivals think that I'm too 
singer-songwriter or contemporary, and the songwriter festivals think I'm too bluegrass. So mm-hmm. I don't fit neatly into a niche, and yet, thankfully, um, 30 years into a career, uh, it's still staying interesting, and I'm finding my way through it. <laughs> um. Let's see, we have a question from Kirk Norman asking, do you bring any hip-hop influences into your old-time music? I feel like the the rhythms are there, you know? Uh-huh. Those, those hip-hop rhythms are in there. And actually, like... Something like, you know, I taught some high schoolers hand bone rhythms and then said, all right, what's a song you know? And they pulled out a hip hop song they knew all the words to and we put those hand bone rhythms underneath it. And they were like, oh, that's so cool. You know, so it's both bringing old stuff forward and bringing new stuff back. Um, mm-hmm. My son is actually a hip hop R&B producer who won't collaborate with me yet. We'll see. He might come around one of these days. But he's like, no banjo. No banjo in... No mom and no banjo. Yeah. So, respect. I respect that. Do your own thing. But he, he might be one of the few hip-hop producers who knows all about the banjo and all-time music. Because <laughs> uh, his friends are cooking up upstairs, and they're like, oh, that's so cute. Your parents are playing folk music downstairs. We're adorable. Stop. Never stop. Uh, We have a couple of other questions going backwards a little bit on what we've talked about. One talking about um, uh, some of the setup. Uh, Julie Colton's asking, are the strings on your banjos metal, nylon, or gut? Steel strings. Yeah, metal strings. I just need that um, poke, the pokiness of it. Okay. Do you ever play in a, a nylon string banjos at, at all? I you just, don't. I, I strung a fretless up with nylon once a while ago, and I just, I never played it. And I think uh-huh. it's, I'm very simple in my, in my gear needs, mm, yeah. you know, I just, I don't have tons of banjos. Um, I just tend to, I mean, you see, like in my career, I do a lot of different things and in my banjo playing. I kind of stick with old faithful and, Got it. and all of that. And, um, I love the sounds of those other things, but I think cause also when I'm touring, I need to take a banjo and a guitar. Um, so I don't work those things into my show cause I can't travel with all of that stuff. Also living on the West know, coast, yeah. most of the time I'm flying. So Yeah. Do you travel? Do you, do you travel all over the you know all over the states, all over the world? But not most of your gigs aren't, aren't on the west coast. Uh, it varies. Lots of, lots out here, mm-hmm. but you know, one of the things I liked moving out here was that the Bay Area. This area is huge, and so you can go forty five yeah. minutes and have a, a whole new audience. Um, right. and go to the other side of the hill and have a whole new audience. Um, but if you want to go anywhere else, it's far. It's far. But yeah. I've taken my, I've taken that banjo all over the world. We've been in Kazakhstan and Indonesia and Ghana, South America, been all over the place. Yeah. Do you, do you travel with a hard shell case or a gig bag? I very often. When you're flying. If I'm, flying, just, flying. if I'm just flying with that banjo, I just put it in yeah. a gig bag. But uh, recently, my setup is hard case checked with an air tag in it uh-huh. <laughs> uh, for my banjo, and then my guitar in a in a gig bag uh, on the plane with me. Just because right. I have a hard okay. case for my banjo, and I don't have a hard case for my a flight case for my guitar. Gotcha, gotcha. Is it a flight case or just a regular hard shell case? Is it like it's a, a flight case? You know, called- yeah. Yeah, it's a Colton flight case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a question. Banged up too. Lost some latches and things like that. But I'm telling you, but it's put protected. A, put an it's air tag job. in your instruments. It's really nice when I could show them. Look, my banjo's over there. <laughs> yeah. Bring it over that, that's here. Advice. <laughs> that happened. That's good advice. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it. Um, Alan Jones is asking, does ZV play fiddle tunes like Soldier's Joy, Turkey in the Straw? waiting for the federals etc oh yeah all the fiddle tunes in my, all the classics in my classes i teach i teach group lessons online uh, through the freight and salvage here in berkeley on tuesday nights in six week sessions and then i have a pretty popular course on peghead nation 
Um, and those are, it's all tunes. Well, I do some songs, uh, like trad songs, but otherwise it's all fiddle tunes, uh, helping people learn by ear, how to pick up tunes, techniques for learning and all of that. And in fact, I have a, I have an online workshop coming up with Peghead Nation. Uh, I do them about twice a year, a live workshop, um, on Saturday, March 11th. Uh, at 10 in the morning Pacific so that it's accessible across the pond um, and other time zones. Um, I think I said we're going to play in double D tuning and techniques and ideas for, again, I, I really like to, I noticed over the years of teaching and also why there aren't lots of videos of me sitting in the cab of my truck playing the banjo, <laughs> like so many people have. It's because I respond to the fiddle. I grew up responding to the fiddle. And every fiddle player plays a tune slightly differently. Every banjo player plays a tune slightly differently. And like I said, I grew up playing in jam sessions. And so my, I feel like uh, the fiddle tunes, I don't have, I don't think there's a way to play them. There's lots of ways to play them. And that the skills you need for joining a jam session, which is what most people want to do to play with other people, is to be able to pick up a tune on the fly. And so I teach a lot of those kinds of skills of here's your entry point and also a more traditional way of learning which is more circular than linear like in traditional cultures you're around it and you listen to it over and over again and then you get part of it and you participate you can play in time and start adding in details and things like that so i do teach specifics but like i don't have like a way that uh that i think anybody needs to play the tune Long answer to like, yes, I play a ton of fiddle tunes. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to a lot today to uh, the album "Riding the Rooster." Um, uh -huh. it's, that, and it's great. It's it's, it's it's everybody's. It's a banjo fiddle duet on each track, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm and, two thirds uh, of the way through the second the second version. Okay. Nice. It's it's fantastic. Um, I was curious about the recording process on this because a lot of the fiddle players the fiddle players aren't all in the Bay Area, are they? Mm -hmm. No, they're no. all over. Yeah, I took advantage of uh, while I was traveling, um, while I was on tour, and I would visit because uh -huh. a previous answer to a question, uh, answer to a previous question is I've never had my fiddle player that uh -huh. is someone that is just my person that I play with all the time. And because I hadn't recorded a lot of trad music outside of with the stairwell sisters, I was like, all right, well, let me tap into the community again to all these people I love to play with. And, uh, in a lot of cases, you know, a visit, you have a meal and you sit down, you play some tunes and you're like, Oh, this is a good one. And then as I, as I like to say, it's, what I imagine riding the rooster to feel like is just sitting down with someone, busting out a tune super fast, recording it. <laughs> you know, I might have done things differently if I'd stopped to figure it out or take my time and da da da. But I wanted to have that energy, that real live energy. Uh -huh. So it's also been just like a great opportunity to sit down with a ton of different fiddle players, and right. and uh, this this next one, yes, I, I hope to wrap it up this year because i have i'm going to be touring quite a bit this year so would you choose like a tune beforehand and just go and go record like one tune with somebody or like spend the day at the studio and record a bunch of tunes and then just choose one out of that session haha ha, studio I take this mic and another mic <laughs> and my interface and garage band right. and uh wherever we were at you know sometimes Perfect. involving a lot of duct tape <laughs> yeah to set it up and just really do it on the fly you can really do that especially fiddle and banjo it's really straightforward i sent yeah, all the yeah. tracks to joe bass he made them all sound you know comparable uh, out in right. floyd virginia and yeah Awesome. That's cool. I like it. I had a quick question with that mind jumping in, Dave, real fast. Yeah, go ahead. The, um, you mentioned that you had spent a lot of time taking that banjo around the world to different places. We've had a, a number of guests on the show, Dan Walsh, I, I can think of, and um, Ben from the Henhouse Prowlers, both of which have spent a lot of time in, in, in different countries and different cultures, particularly musical cultures. Um, do you have a favorite? among those places that you went to that kind of you related to from a banjo playing perspective that kind of just jived with how you approach the instrument or were they all just kind of a unique experience in and of themselves? Boy, um, 
on that. Definitely, so. they're all unique experiences. But like some highlights are like, yeah. uh, we were in Kazakhstan, and mm. we were invited to a music school, and it's that thing where we weren't just like. Uh, like absorbing their culture. We weren't just Americans taking culture, but we were offering something. Um, and there was much more of an exchange. And they play, oh my God, they play these um, these uh, horse hair fiddles, horse hide fiddles mm -hmm. made of wood. And, you know, they have these two chambers. It was fascinating. And it was very fiddle tuny. And so the cool thing about the banjo is that I can retune to whatever I hear. I've collaborated with a Cora player and other West African players that I just bang, 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 tune to what I hear, find, find my scale or, you know, find my groove in that, in wherever they, wherever they are and, and just start playing together. And it's amazing to be able to do that. And I, yeah. I feel like the banjo really lends itself to that because of it's the fact that we're so used to retuning to be in different, right. <laughs> in different mm -hmm. places on it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's what Dan said as yeah. well. Same, similar thing. Yeah. 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 Collaborating is, is super fun. And then also I'm glad that this is much more common knowledge now, but I've been talking about, as you heard, like being an African instrument and having this, these, African diaspora influences, you know, since since I was a teenager, and really yeah. educating people to that, and more and more people now know that that's true. So, just keeping it connected to its history. Strange, isn't it? It hasn't, like you say, suggesting it hasn't been particularly common knowledge until quite recently, like mass common knowledge. Yep. I remember when I first came to the states. I think um, I think Baylor had just put out "Throw Down Your Heart." that mm -hmm. documentary when he went to Africa and that was that seemed to be a big turning point at the time um, yeah. and then people like yourself and Rhiannon and uh, David Holt talking about the history as well has mm -hmm. um, all been really really awesome you know Don Flemons is another one I know. think part part of that is the stereotypes around southern culture period um, you know it's history being complicated but also just uh, Southern culture has a lot of negative stereotypes. Um, and so the banjo is really associated with those stereotypes, you know, mm -hmm. very yeehaw like. Um, yep. And so it's been really nice to really look at, at the depths of it. And especially because this music came out of adversity, it came out of a really difficult and painful part of history. And of course, what comes out is this incredible artistic output, creative output, because that's how Pressure. people survive. Pressure creates <laughs> diamonds, right? Right. As they say. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I do think, uh, I don't know how we start a petition on this, but there needs to be some kind of collaboration between you and your son, because I think that would be cool. <laughs> <I'll let him laughs> out. Uh, I might start this tomorrow because right. I do think that banjo lends itself quite well to a nice hip hop beat here and there. I think it's cool. Um, One day. So yeah, let's make that happen. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. I don't need to push for that. I, I get a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's really for me more than anybody. Else, okay, you know, for but, you. Well, He'll do, it, he'll do it for you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, I, I'm just checking for more questions, make sure we've got everybody. Um, I know the Victor was asking, I think you kind of answered it. He said, um, do you, you think that YouTube uh, will make banjo videos easily more appreciated? Um, and I think he's referring to more banjo videos with helping the audience appreciate the songs more. So I, I, I think he's referring to like more old time songs um, and more of, again, that kind of culture and that that more traditional element to it. And I mean, yes, no, them. because I also feel like the way the algorithm <clears throat> works, people mm. who are really good at all the social stuff, that their videos get more traction. And so when you look up something you're looking for, you might not find like the real stuff. You might not find the right. deep stuff. You just find the people who are good at the algorithm or whatever it is. True. So on one hand, there's a lot that's available. On the other hand, there's a lot that's available and not all yeah. of it is good. And I mm -hmm. get so many students who are like, so I've worked with YouTube videos for a while and now I feel like I need a person. You know, so right. it's that's nice to know that occasionally a person is still needed. Right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. can they can just ask Chat GPT. You know, really how to play the band in these days. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah, what is that? I'm not even sure what that is. Yeah. <laughs> it was I a... a lot of... Oh, go ahead. Okay. Oh, I, I, just, I get a lot, a lot of people, people who really want to learn to play with other people. You yeah. know, they're like, okay, I've learned some stuff. How do I break through to to playing with people? And even other, yeah. like, really skilled musicians who are drawn to it because people play because they want to be playing. It's not all geared towards performance. It's not geared towards a certain level of skill. It's geared towards doing. And I feel like that it keeps people connected. It makes you feel good. All of those things that are missing in modern society. <laughs> Hundred percent. There's, there's a number of people who uh, take lessons with you online, and uh, a couple of them in the chat talking about how I think one in particular lives kind of near you in the Bay Area and uh, wants to do the one-to-one where possible, if that's even an opportunity. But he sure. ideally one day like just wants to get off that screen. It seems like and get in front of a a yeah. human, right, and interact. And and, and it's like you said you know, before we started. I think uh, Zoom has been a godsend in many ways for the last mm-hmm. few years, but at the same time, I think it, it emphasizes how much we need that, that one-to-one interaction wherever possible. So, yeah. yeah. So hopefully next time we'll do this in person. That would be nice. Hopefully there'll be a next time. Do you like how I segued <laughs> that? That was nice. <laughs> yeah, good. Happy to. Yeah. Well, now you know all my history and everything. We can talk about other things. Yes. So what we traditionally do, and viewers will know this, is that if we have someone come on for a second time, we tend to pick up a topic, a specific uh, thing that maybe is near and dear to your heart that you want to kind of explain or teach or get off your chest or anything that could be a particular technique or history of something or other. So it it depends on where you want to go. So give that some thought because... We'll, we'll definitely want to circle back with you, uh, once you especially once you've got the album out again, uh, the next the next installment. Right. So, cool. All right. Dave, any more? Now I'd love to hear that tune that, that you uh, talked about playing, and I'm going to count it and see see how lost I get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to – I'll play a mashup of Sid DeMeyer's Forky Deer and mm-hmm. uh, the traditional Forked Deer. <clears throat> awesome. Um... Uh... 